Hey everyone, welcome back to the Joel Bynes Show. Thanks for being here. So if you've been listening for a few weeks now, you'll know that I have a grand vision for humanity, one of abundance and flourishing in which each human is getting his or her needs met in abundance. And those needs are in every area of life from purpose and play to peace and productivity to adventure and spontaneity to compassion and warmth and to be seen and to be heard and of course connection love intimacy and these these needs in relation to other humans are as essential as any right these needs for connection and to be to be known for who you are not just to be who you are, that need for authenticity, but to be known by another for who you are. And, and then in the realm of romantic relationships, to create that intimate, wonderful experience of being seen for who you are, known for who you are, being understood, being supported, having that intimacy and that love. And so in that spirit, I'm really excited to share this special episode on this Friday edition of the Joel Bein Show. Um, this is sharing an episode of my friend Kirsten Trammell's podcast, the Naked Connection podcast. Uh, this, this podcast came out a few months ago as well, and it's an amazing show. I've been listening to it, and it's, it's all about navigating intimacy and communicating effectively with the ones that you love. Um, and Kirsten, who's been a friend of mine, we, we met at a retreat a few years ago and she's exploring these topics of sex and relationships with both men and women in mind, creating a space for you to, to grow together and not apart. You know, there's so much of this fear and distrust that's throughout our culture based on our conditioning. And so when we want to create that wonderful, integrated, wholesome world, let's have the courage to create those intimate connections rather than pull back to grow together in our relations with, with others, especially romantic partners, right? So, so Kirsten, you know, takes all of the sort of uncomfortable intimacy topics and makes them feel like a casual dinner topic. Um, she's amazing. And I, I really think you're going to enjoy this. Um, this episode, I asked her to um, to kindly, you know, provide one of her favorite episodes, and and actually, it turned out to be the one that that's my favorite episode as well because this episode with Annie Lala is second to none. I mean, Annie Lala is a love coach, and I've listened to, you know tens of probably 10,000 podcasts in my life at this point, something like that. And uh, this is one of the best podcast guests I've ever heard on a podcast, period. Annie Lala is just full of magic. And it's all about how to find and keep lasting love. It's all about doing that from a bottom up approach that's based on that openness and vulnerability and healing and growth. So Annie is just full of 
of mindset reframes and analogies and nuggets of wisdom that I've literally heard no other person in the world phrase in the way she phrases it and phrases it and she's just full of energy and enthusiasm and yeah this episode is just so fantastic in Kirsten and, and Annie talking about you know how to how to recognize your dream partner and magnetize that person and to you know navigate through potential conflict in the early stages of dating and to know if that person is is sort of quote unquote the one it, you know if if you want to if you want to you know buy into that topic that's that's definitely a possibility that Annie that Annie provides that there is that person who can be that wonderful connection for you uh, and create those lifelong intimate years of of experience and getting all those needs met in abundance right so yeah without further ado let me let me pass pass the microphone to Kirsten and Annie and let me know your feedback on this I, this is a, a new thing for me t- to to try this this um this guest show spotlight but I think it's a really cool thing and I totally believe in what you know, what Kirsten's doing and definitely check out her podcast, The Naked Connection. All right. Thanks y'all. Talk to you soon. Welcome back to The Naked Connection, the show that helps you reach sexual mastery and build deep connections. I'm Kirsten Trammell and my mission is to help bring you deeper connections, improve communication and more epic sex into your life. Okay. I have a question for you. Do you dream of having that perfect dynamic, the one where you have that partner who you trust and love, who you can count on and also have an insanely fun time with, where the sex is mind-blowing and your communication is on point, there's no guessing, you get it. You just know that they're the one for you. Today's guest, Annie Lala, is here to share exactly how to find and keep the lasting love that you desire. Annie Lala is a relationship coach and some of the most successful people from all around the world have turned to Annie to receive support on love. She works with clients to really step into being their highest selves so that they can attract, create, and really foster extraordinary connections that maximize freedom and minimize shame. I mean, who doesn't want that? (laughs) I am beyond excited. Annie is a guest that I really, really wanted to have on the show. So it feels like such an honor for me to be able to sit down and share her insane wisdom with you guys. This episode is truly perfect for anyone who is dating to find their life partner. And I mean, honestly, Even if you're already in a relationship or a marriage or you're already dating someone, the wisdom that Annie has can truly be applied to any stage of life. We're going to get into who should initiate in dating. Is it the guy? Is it the girl? We get into how to create space in your life for love. I know you're so busy and you have so much going on, so it can be hard to actually find the time and the energy to find love in your life. We are going to talk about an incredibly important question I'm hearing you guys. I'm hearing this question all of the time for you. And today we are going to get a very clear answer on how to know if someone is the one for you. Annie breaks it down super clear. And also we talk about, you know what? We talk about so much 
I don't want to keep you from it any longer. Let's get into the episode. Let's just get into it. Here we go. Annie Lala, welcome to The Naked Connection. Yay, I'm so delighted to be here. And I just want you to know that like my imagination and intelligence and experience is on tap for you and your tribe. There's no question I won't answer. And sometimes I go off into the abstract, so feel free to pull me back down into the specifics so it can really make a difference because, uh, you know, I, I work with individuals, couples, I teach group programs, so I can speak at any level. Oh, amazing, amazing. And we can go to all of the places too. So okay. I love that. I thought it would be really fun to actually kind of walk through the process of finding and keeping lasting love and thinking mm -hmm. of starting with dating. And sure. I would love to ask you just kind of right off the bat, what are some of the common reasons that you see people struggle to find love? First of all, I just want to like get our definitions clear. There's long-term and short-term dating. And I have no moral judgment on either. Short-term mm -hmm. dating is, I don't know, you're in Venice for the weekend and you want to meet someone and it's only ever going to last three days and you have a fun time and then you're out, guy or girl. and that, there's nothing wrong with that. It has its own. It's kind of like having pizza in the middle of Times Square. It's quick. It's fun. You're probably not going to build patronage there. They're only coming to get pizza from you once. It's a different style of restaurant than the artisan farm to table boutique restaurant in Williamsburg or something, right? So mm -hmm. long-term dating is when you're ready to interview for the most important position you're ever going to hire for in your life. And that is companion, life partner the person who's supposed to be the trampoline for your dreams and a sanctuary for your heart. That's, that's a really important thing to explore and to develop um, intentionality around. And so I specialize in long-term dating. When you're done with, I actually say this, when you're done with dating and you're ready to find your soulmate, your life partner, your, your one true love, then I'm the coach for you. So I just want to be really clear the, yeah. you know, the terms we're using. So when you're done with dating and you're actually ready, like you're like, you make this decision up here and you're like, okay, universe, I'm looking for her, for him. And I'm going to um, make use of my network and my tools. Then here's what I recommend you do. Is that what you want to hear about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah okay, I'm like, so we're the, done. We're done eating the greasy pizza. We're ready to go. <laughs> okay. okay. So first, if you listen to bird song when you're on a walk in the morning, you know, we hear birds chirping or even cicadas where I live, they're like buzzing all the time. So what is, what are these sounds? These, the bird call, the cicada chirping, what are these? These are mating calls, mm -hmm. right? This is literally what they're doing. They're taking all of their equipment and they're making a noise. And we're saying, Hey, is there any other bird out there that likes the way I sing? You want to come mate with this? This is what animals do. They have signaling. They, they have signals that indicate mateability. What do you think those big horns on the ram or the peacock feathers? These are signals that say, you want a piece of this? <laughs> and so we got to get conscious about our signaling. And in particular, we have to be intentional about creating a triumphant bird call. Okay. If you are shacked up in an office or living in a basement and you are not out in the world, either digitally or in person, broadcasting your particular superpowers, gifts, unique abilities, then how can anyone find you? And I know you can go on Tinder or you can go on some app and like make a bio. And I help my clients do that for sure. But when someone meets you through your art, 
through the thing you're good at, like you're on stage speaking and they hear your ideas or they go to an art gallery and they see your art or they hear you play piano or whatever the thing is. You could be a hostess, a cook, a gardener. When someone meets you, when you're doing your jam, the thing that puts you in flow, they get to taste your soul firsthand. That's how your soulmate recognizes you when you're doing the thing that makes you come most alive. So first, you want to be finding and saying yes to every opportunity where you get to do the thing that brings your soul alive, because how else is your soul making to recognize you? And then you say yes to them, and then you do them publicly. My husband was literally, he was at Burning Man. He was in some big, giant, dusty dome. He was invited to do a talk on his favorite ideas, not the stuff he gets paid for in his, like, He's a CEO and he's a marketing genius, but he just started talking about his favorite ideas about personal growth and human development and consciousness. And there I was in the audience and I saw the bird, heard the bird call. And I was like, oh my God, that's him. Now, I didn't know I would get him. I just knew that every man I'd ever met before was cool and smart and interesting in different ways, but they were all like cars, like a Lexus or a Range Rover or a Ferrari. And he was like the Starship Enterprise, like a whole new <laughs> class of vehicle. Like I was just like, I didn't know a man like that existed. And I instantly recognized him. Now, was he sitting there doing his bird call? I'm going to go do a bird call at Burning Man by doing a talk. No, he was just sharing his best ideas. Is some part of his animal aware that like, hey, I'm single, I'm casting out my net. So whether you do it consciously or you just give yourself opportunities to express your unique artistic offerings, whatever they are, and make sure that people can find you through them, I think that's one important thing to be doing to so make mm-hmm. your triumphant bird call. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Totally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I love, I love that your husband's the Starship Enterprise. And, and it's actually so interesting that you say this because in talking with both men and women, I've heard that there's this shift that happens where now women are doing their bird calls and men are relaxed observing it. And so there's kind of, in some instances, not all where men have taken the passive, more passive role and women have taken this more pursuing role. So how would you navigate that? So I just want to dispel this whole bullshit narrative I've heard in culture that somehow the woman is supposed to sit there and be, you know, chased by a man. I, mm-hmm. I, well, personally, I had a mentor when I was very young, sit me down in his office and say, what do you want in your life? And I said a few things. I wanted to be in love. I wanted to write a book. I can't remember what the third one was. But I remember after he heard me say them, he, he looked me in the eye and he said, when you see the man that you like, when you see him, you go after him. You do not let him get away. And I was like, I don't even know why he was telling me that, but I put I put it in the corner of my mind and then I went on my life, my merry way. And it wasn't until I found my husband, that thought popped back into my mind and it was like, you go after him. And I didn't hunt him down like a stalker. And he was actually dating someone at the time. He was in a full relationship. So mm-hmm. I didn't even have a chance. But he knew I was a relationship coach and I became friends with him through, through some friends. And I just started coaching him on his relationship. I was just like, I am going to be a value contribution. I don't know if he doesn't, if I'm not the right person for him and he's the most extraordinary man, most inspiring man I'd ever met, then he's damn well going to feel my love and I'm going to be a contribution to his cause. But right? when you mm-hmm. love somebody, you don't go, oh, I love you if you love me back. And then if you don't love me back, I don't love you. No, you just... You just want to be a contribution to that. And so it turned out that I coached them for a while and 
that didn't work out. And because I was just channeling value and love in his direction, of course, you know, there was an opportunity there. So I pursued him in terms of, I mean, I, I literally, he's a business guy. So when he broke up with this lady and I went to visit him, I literally had a dinner where I had, I don't even know if I jotted it out, but I basically made a proposal. Like, here's why um, a relationship, here's why being in a relationship with me, well, here's what it offers. Because I saw his relationship with his family. He had a distraught relationship. He didn't talk to his dad. Him and his mom hardly got along. He didn't have a good handle on what to do with human emotions. He even said that. He's like, why do you want to be in a relationship with me? I'm like Mount Everest. And he was right. Like he couldn't keep a relationship together. He was a very famous dating coach. He was named, he was known as David D'Angelo. He was kind of an early days dating coach. So he was good at getting the girl's number and doing the dance. But as soon as it actually became relationship potential, I don't think he knew what to do with it. So it's kind of like I picked up where his job left off. And so I was like, oh, I don't, I know how to climb Everest. I, I can teach you. And so in, the, in that dinner, I remember this fateful dinner, I was like, okay, you know, if we were to be in a relationship, here's what, here's what I what would happen for you. We would heal your relationship with your mom. We would reinvent your relationship with your dad. We'd um, collaborate on projects that were, you know, entrepreneurial, but like had an emotional constituent because most of his stuff that he taught was like super cerebral and heady. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. He's the best mm -hmm. teacher I've ever known. And many people say that about him. But man, if he could open his heart and take his emotional game to the next level, he'd be even more powerful as a human. And so I just saw I what what, what gives a man or a woman the courage to pursue, and we'll talk about what I mean by that so you don't come off looking crazy, mm -hmm. but to pursue <laughs> something that you want, like a partner, is the knowing that you can love them better than anyone else. And when I say love them better, I mean add to their life, amplify their skills, be a trampoline for their dreams, escalate their development and actualization and potential. So I looked at him and I saw all his crazies and all his glories. And I was like, I, my particular brand of genius is perfectly poised to help him get to the next level. And so I'm not going after him because I love him and he loves me the best. In fact, how he loved me wasn't particularly spectacular. He, he had a lot of work he needed. He, he definitely wasn't loving me better than anyone had ever loved me, but I knew I could love him better. And that's what gave me the courage to stand mm -hmm. for this relationship. And if another woman had shown up and I thought she could love him better, I would have stepped aside because I want him to have the right person. Mm -hmm. So that's, so that's anomalous. But I do want to mm -hmm. point out in the mammal um, in, in the world of mammals and animals in the mating game, a lot of scientists who study this were males. And when the males came back from research in the field, they would say, oh yeah, the, the male antelope pursues the female or the male fox. But as female scientists started to go out and research in the field, what they realized is that the mating dance between mammals does not start with the male. It mm -hmm. always starts with the female but she doesn't walk across the bar to get his number. She starts with something they called assertive receptivity. So she makes a glance. She says energetically, visually, in a subtle gesture, you may approach. I'm available. And then the man picks, the male picks up the gesture and then approaches. Mm -hmm. But it's the female that leads the mating dance. And so I just teach a lot of my female clients, like, listen, 
I know you want to just sit there and hope some Prince Charming sweeps you up, but you have to stand out there and let them know that you are mm-hmm. available to be picked up. Because um, especially after the Me Too movement, movement, like men are just, they need to cover their ass and not step over yeah. any boundaries. And so you, you, you've got to be more explicit that you're available, you're interested, and you're open and dockable. I think of it as like a docking station as a mm-hmm. woman or a man. If you want a mate and you're single, you need to become dockable. Like a port has a, it's a place where ships dock. A relationship can only dock if there's no shipping containers and boats already at the dock. So you have to mm-hmm. clear out your dock and be available energetically, emotionally, physically, mentally to a relationship. And most of my single clients they say on one hand, oh, I want to find my partner. I want to find my soulmate. But their doc is full of shit. Like they're too busy. They don't have the emotional tools. They act like they're too cool for school. So there's no way in for someone to even see that they have a heart or a need for love. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, well, they're just going to keep floating by that relationship because you you don't indicate dockability. Yeah. Um, so those are the two things. It's just both pursue. It's a co-seduction. Mm-hmm. But the, the woman, you got to you gotta lead with some indicator. And then the final thing about being single that I think is the most useful piece of data of advice, but that I don't hear anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And this is for men or women, but let's just pretend it's for a, a single man. Every woman you meet, Starbucks barista, waitress, Cousin's nephew, little girl who lives next door, the older lady across the street, every woman you meet, treat her as if she's an avatar sent from your future soulmate to interview you and see where you are in your development as a man. And that as soon as they interact with you, they're going to get a download, a feeling of where you're at by how you treat them. And just imagine that they're right away, as soon as they leave you, they're going to go write an email and send it to your soulmate and let you know where you are in in your development and whether you're ready for her. So -hmm. what this does is it forces every man to practice using every woman as an imprint or avatar of the divine feminine goddess, the female archetype, and to practice and hone treating her, whatever age, whether they're sexually available or not. You're practicing treating every woman with dignity and finesse and prowess and sophistication. And then by the time your soulmate lady shows up, you are well honed as a man. Hmm. Now, this doesn't just bring your soulmate faster because I really do think energetically these women are sending an email back into the to the <laughs> yeah. newest fair and the future soulmate can pick it up. But it makes a man feel more proud of who he is as a man. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because uh, – a man who knows how to make a woman feel charmed, delighted, beautiful, um, appreciated, any woman, even if it's the dental hygienist, they strut with more kick in their step. And that man's going to be more confident when he moves through a room where his soulmate is sitting, right? Mm-hmm. Everything that you're sharing, I love so much because not only does it sound like it en- enhances not only the dating experience and finding love, but it makes us better people and it also makes the world a better place. Like. Imagine if every person that was single that was out there treating every person that they came in contact with in that way, the world would be different. Totally. And the same applies to women. Yeah. Every single man you meet is someone's son. Okay. 
And mm-hmm. if you could just feel the maternal part of you that would never want your son to be rejected or negatively criticized by some pretty girl at some club, just treat every man as if they're the son of a sister. And how would you treat that man so that if you could look his mother in the eye, you would feel proud? Mm-hmm. And this is just something we want to take on. And as a woman, you will be start strut, you will strut through the world with the confidence of knowing that men in your presence feel edified. Mm-hmm. And that's very attractive. Well, one of the things, and just I, I personally, a few months out of a relationship, just started dipping my toes back into dating. And I last week went on the dating apps. It was really interesting because I saw that some people just kind of had a pessimistic viewpoint. And it made me really want to ask you about what to do if someone is in the in the space of wanting to find their lifelong partner, wanting to have that artisanal pizza. And they have these thoughts, I'll never find someone. This is too hard. Like how do people get how do you get out of that? Well something I learned from a smart gentleman who was a mentor of my husband's, he said, every cynic is a failed idealist. So what you're speaking about is a kind of bitterness or frustration that comes from having a dream, a desire, a fantasy about Mm -hmm. love, and then something happens. She breaks your heart. He breaks up with you. Someone goes to you. Something happens when you are the young idealist version of yourself and the dream that you had gets dashed to the kick to the curb and then your heart closes because it got so hurt. And that dream now turns into a skepticism. This is how you become a cynic. So a cynic is an idealist that failed at achieving a dream. Now, to be cynical or skeptical means that you're indicating some kind of like pessimism, frustration, disbelief in the possibility. But the only reason you'd have that kind of bitter, grumbly, curmudgeonly, skeptical angle (laughs) is because that dream is still ignited and has a tiny little flame in the middle of your heart. And everyone else falls for the curmudgeonly, skeptical, bitter grumble, but not me. My tagline is I help skeptics believe in true love because I know you wouldn't be skeptical, cynical, or grumbly if there wasn't a flame of possibility still burning. And so all I got to do is get in there and blow on that flame to reignite it because once a cynic or a skeptic gets gets any access to that hope or that possibility again, the whole fire comes online because they never lost it. If you really weren't an idealist anymore, then you would be neutral about dating. You wouldn't be, oh, it's never going to happen, depressed, negative, pessimistic. You'd just be neutral. So that's my clue. Whenever I see the cynicism or the skepticism, I'm like, oh, they're an idealist and they had a dream and their heart got broken. And then I have compassion. I don't fall for the skepticism though. They try, but I don't fall for it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm the idealist's idealist. Like an, I can out idealize anyone. (laughs) And that's only because I'm the biggest cynic. Okay. Mm -hmm. My husband just could look at me the wrong way. And I used to be, it's over divorce. I've had so many moments of paranoia, catastrophe. This is going to go wrong. It's definitely fucked that there is no crater of despair that I haven't built a ladder out of myself. And that's mm-hmm. why I specialize in conflict resolution and conflict with couples or 
or individuals who are struggling with deep, difficult emotions, because I just, I've been there. I've yeah. really been there. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, one of the things I did want to ask you about specifically in conflict resolution, and I've seen both men and women talk about how in the beginning, let's say that you're dating someone and something comes up that you don't like, or that is upsetting to you, but because it's so fresh and new, you don't want to enter into some kind of a conflict, but then that can often create like resentment or patterns that we don't want. So how do we learn how to navigate conflict in something that's new? So that one is a, it's like a very fine art. It's like, how do you Mm -hmm. teach bonsai? You know, it's very unique (laughs) to each situation. But what I would suggest is, remember I said there's short-term dating and long-term dating. So the Mm -hmm. short-term dating is where you play all the games and people, you know, that book, the game or the, the rules, all these stuff that you'll hear in Cosmopolitan. Oh, don't text him until three days after. And this is how you do this. That's all bullshit short-term dating stuff. When you're ready to find your soulmate, you need to throw out all those rules. Mm -hmm. And you need to get that in order to win the long-term dating game of true love, you have to start getting radically um, honest about what's going on for you. Now, when I say that, it doesn't mean like you show up on the date and they're, they're wearing a sweater with a color that you don't like and you're like, oh, who yeah. wears mustard? Like yeah. that, that you want to be um, titrating and attuning to what's true for you to express and what honors and dignifies the other person. And it's a dance mm-hmm. and not just honors and dignifies the other person, but honors and dignifies yourself. What this is, is like, how much information do I show and when? You have to titrate it. Like if I meet someone on an interview, I'm not going to be like, hi, um, do you know I study BDSM on the side and I'm a dom part-time? Like that's in, I'm not, but like say I was, right? (laughs) That's not the thing you'd say the first moment you meet someone. You might have to learn about them, befriend them, have them really get how interesting and cool and fascinating you are. And then you bring that data in attuning and titrating when you feel like they've understood you enough to not have a prejudice where they stop um, being open to the phenomenon, the complex phenomenon that you are. And so I can't give you a straight answer, but in terms of early days conflict, I think all conflict is best handled the same way. Mm-hmm. A conflict, which is seemingly two perspectives that are butting heads or, you know, in an antagonism. A conflict is actually a collaboration between two sep- two different perspectives trying to happen, but it's getting stymied. So a collaboration is a resolved conflict and a conflict is a collaboration trying to happen, but getting interrupted. So what interrupts collaborations and turns it into a conflict? Two, two, behavior traits, which I'll call collapse or coercion. So collapse is when there's a conflict and you go, okay, fine. Yeah, no, you're right. We'll just do it your way. Or no, no, it's fine. We can have Italian. I don't mind Italian. And you abdicate from your truth, your needs, your reality to play nice, to get approval, to be congenial. And you basically abandon your truth and collapse on yourself. So that's Mm -hmm. one thing that can create conflict. And the other one is coerce, where you use anger, intimidation, manipulation, withdrawing of love, punishment, threats, all kinds of 
subtle to very extreme tools to get the other person to do what you want. Okay. Now they're both equally damaging. I don't have one is better than the other. Our culture tends to go, Oh, poor victim collapse. Oh, bad perpetrator. Who's manipulating Mm -hmm. as a love coach. They're equally crazy as far as I'm concerned. And they're both equally damaging. So whichever one Mm -hmm. you, whoever's listening tends to be, you need Mm -hmm. to track that this is what's creating conflict in your life. You need, if you're a collapser, you need to take some breath, self-regulate and get support and coaching and learn how to speak your truth in real time eventually in real time. Mm-hmm. And that's how your relationship game is going to be improved. And if you're a, a manipulator, coercer, intimidator kind of person, you tend to go into anger, then your job is to be attuned to the feelings of the other person and make that a higher priority than you getting what you want. Because if you want the relationship, like a relationship is two people who feel like being together is better off than being apart. So people don't want to be in a relationship if they continuously feel like the agenda of their partner is always more important than their needs and wants. It's not a relationship. So yeah, and I basically work with these two types in in all my coaching. So I could go deeper, but that's kind of the high level. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that because I think it is really important for us to learn how to navigate conflict now as we step into deeper relationships as they expand. But basically the last thing on that I might just say is to just share how you feel with um, a number, like literally a number, calibration. Like I noticed, I noticed when you just said that comment about my mother that my body contracted and I felt tension in my throat about three, four out of 10. I know that sounds wonky and weird, but I'm telling you, if you can report rather than who the hell do you think you are criticizing my mother, like just report on what you feel. I felt sad when you mentioned that. I noticed my body tighten. But giving the number helps because they don't know if it's a nine out of 10 upset or a two out of 10. And so in our ha- house, we calibrate everything. Like my daughter, she's hungry. She'll say, I'm two out of 10 hungry. Or if she got hurt, I'll say, how big's the owie? And she'll be like, it's like four out of 10, not seven mm-hmm. out of 10. So calibration is a really important tool to start building um, an intuitive intelligence in your partner and in your family members around how you feel in different situations. So it's training them. Yeah. I absolutely love that because it's, it's like one thing to share the feeling or the sensation that you're having, but then to be able to say, this is the scale that I'm experiencing it on. I think of people here, oh, I feel sad. No one really knows what that means. It could be very extreme or just like, oh, I just got a little sad about something tiny, you know, so that is so helpful. And if your partner says to you, I feel nine out of 10 rage or sadness, it triggers a different response than, yeah, I'm Mm -hmm. two out of 10 sad. And a lot of the reason our partners don't respond to our emotions is because they don't know you're at a nine. Mm -hmm. They don't know you're at an eight. So they're just treating this like the last time you were sad, which you got over in five minutes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks of my own personal life. Um, out having that tool would have been really helpful then. Okay. So I would love to ask, as we're moving along in the dating and we're learning how to navigate conflict, we're finding someone that we really want to connect with. This is something that I get asked all the time is how do you know if someone is like, quote unquote, the one? Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably well, a big question. It's a big question. It's such a big question that I actually have on my website a 10 question test 
if you ask these 10 questions, this is how you know if they're the one or not. And I have it for men and for women. So people, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) AnnieLala.com, take the test. But um, I'll give you kind of some high-level heuristics. So what are we looking for? I said earlier, we're looking for a life partner and it's the most important job we're ever going to hire for. So we're not just looking to like get a house cleaner or a secretary or an executive assistant. No, this one is the most important job. I think it's the most important decision you ever make in your life Mm -hmm. is the partner you choose personally. The second Mm -hmm. most important decision is probably what you dedicate your creative energy towards, like your dharma, your purpose. Um, And I have the first one as more important because there's lots of people who are pursuing their dharma and expressing creatively, but I can tell there's a deep, aching, haunting unfulfillment Mm -hmm. that if they die without knowing true love, I don't think that you ever feel fulfilled. And so I, you know, I'm biased because I'm a love coach, but I'm just (laughs) saying it as it is. So I hate the answer. You just know, because that's what everybody Mm -hmm. says, but I do want to head nod to it now that I am in love and I've been navigating and supporting so many couples that is kind of like what everybody says because they don't have any other words for it. So I've tried to create some new words for it. Um, I'll reference a really beautiful quote that I heard um, from John Perry Barlow that to me really represents true love the best. He said, the difference between love and true love is the difference between a very large number and infinity. Infinity means it goes forever. It's got the eternal quality. Now, if you have never tasted that in your life, that sense of eternal forever, like almost like you recognize the person, Mm -hmm. it feels like two magnets clicking into place. there's There's a familiarity to it. That's one piece. The second, and the second is, and this is how you can tell if it's true love versus addiction or infatuation or obsession, which has its own, you know, pattern. Mm-hmm. The person has to help you. The, the person that you're in love with helps you fall more in love with yourself and your life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause if it's you're infatuated or in some codependent, abusive dance pattern, you'll feel the giddy obsession and the sexual charge and the, I love you, but you won't in the quiet of your mind, in the corner of your mind where nobody's looking, you won't be able to say, yes, being with them helps me fall more in love with myself, makes mm-hmm. me feel more beautiful, big, powerful, and helps me fall more in love with my life. So yeah. that's really important. And the metaphor I use, and I said it earlier, is your your life partner should be a trampoline for your dreams and a sanctuary for your heart, both mm-hmm. at the same time. Usually they're better at one than the other. I'm a much better sanctuary than I am a trampoline, but I've been honing my trampoline game. My husband's a much better trampoline than he is a sanctuary, but I'm a professional sanctuary, so I'm trying to teach him how to do that. And so the point is you cross-train. You know, one's better at the trampoline and the one's at the sanctuary and you cross train each other so you can become better at both when you're a f- future parent. Mm-hmm. Um, how else do you know they're the one? Um, you need one year minimum due diligence research. Anybody who comes to me like two months, oh, I know it's the one. Great. Keep mm-hmm. dating. Keep hanging out. I don't even buy it until you've gone through a year of experiencing them through different moods, seasons, experiences. Like one year minimum mm-hmm. to know whether there's a match. 
because also after a year, all the drugs run out, all the endorphin free drugs. And then you get to see how do you guys dance with no free MDMA running through your ear system? (laughs) How do you, how do you run when you realize they're an imperfect person who can't fulfill all your needs and they drive you a bit crazy? That's, Mm -hmm. it's between 12 and 18 months to two years. That's when most relationships break up. It's the eye of the needle that not many of them can get through. And so Mm -hmm. that's important to track. That's the test, I guess. Um, Because the test is really, do I love this person once I realize all their imperfections, all their wounds, all their crazies, all their drama? And you can't fall in love with a fantasy in your mind of who they could be someday. That's what I tell my clients all the time. If you're in love with who they can be, then you ain't in love with them. You're in love with a fantasy. And now I tell them, you don't have to tell your partner this because I know you get a payoff for keeping the secret. But between you and me, if they never changed, ever, are they still the most extraordinary, inspiring human you've ever met? Because you should never settle for anything less than that. And they tell me, they are. But don't tell them that. Don't tell them. Because they want to be able to withhold their love or threaten their relationship to get their partner to change. But counterintuitively, your partner is never going to change until they feel and believe that you love them, broken, wabi-sabi, incomplete. You love them no matter what, exactly as they are. Then they go, okay, they really love me. Now they want to roll their sleeves up and become the version that you're standing for. Because you don't fall in love with another person. You fall in love with who you get to be because of their vision of you, who you get to be around them, through them, in their listening. You fall in love with your, the partner that is a portal to your greatest self. And if, if that person isn't a fierce stand for your growth and development and consciousness raising and healing then what use is the relationship? You don't want to marry a yes girl or a yes guy who just reflects back with no um, trampoline effect. And mm-hmm. so you, you can't fall in love with someone who they're going to be. You have to fall in love with exactly as they are. And my husband's full of crazy. Can I just tell you? Like, oh my God, <laughs> he's got all kinds of wounds and came from a broken home. And and mm-hmm. in the corner of my heart, privately, I realized he's the most extraordinary man I've ever met, most inspiring man. I, there's nothing really he could do um, that would could change that. Yeah. And am I willing to breathe through all of the fucking crazy to be with this level of extraordinary? And my answer was yes. Now, in order for the relationship to work for me long term, I had to learn to build a backbone and a strong sense of self and to start articulating my needs, my wants, and my boundaries in order for me to hone and train him into the kind of lover that would work for me and that he would be more proud of. Now, I wasn't trying to train, change him. I was actually trying to scrape off everything that wasn't him, his um, wounded programming, his defense mechanisms from childhood to reveal the, the essence that I fell in love with. So your partner's not trying to change you. They're trying mm-hmm. to, I think of it as like Michelangelo, with David inside the block of marble. Michelangelo said he saw David inside the marble and he just carved away everything that wasn't David. So your partner, Mm -hmm. when you choose a partner, you're choosing a sculptor who's going to carve away everything that's not you with their frustrations and complaints 
everything that's wounded programming, unconscious patterns, to reveal the masterpiece, the magnum opus sculpture of who you really are. And so you're hiring your partner to do that. And if you identify as the block of marble, then you're going to think they're trying to change you. If you identify as the sculpture inside the marble, then you're being emancipated from your smallness to your greatness. And Mm so in terms of who's the one, it's the one who carves you into your greatness Mm -hmm. and who you have to become more great in order to make the relationship work. So it's not like you come ready-made and you're like, oh, they love me just how I like. Oh, they love me too. Oh, we're great. Oh, we're right for each other. I ain't never seen that. I've been doing love coaching for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Every long-term successful relationship is a transformational evolutionary crucible that mm-hmm. is custom-crafted by the universe. Your partner is literally created by the universe and sent to you with exactly the right amount of crazy and glory that will inspire you to grow and change. And welcome to love. It's work. And it's a a transformational crucible. And I'm there to help you use the dojo or the gymnasium to build your muscles into your next level self. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love the imagery of how you just described that. And I, one thing that that did make me think about, I think that there are a lot of people that feel like, oh, I have to have everything together it's almost like they're trying to like sculpt themselves throughout the process or something. How do we balance between being in a good place with ourselves and also knowing that we don't have to have everything figured out before we meet someone? Well, you know, those friends who stay in university five years past when everyone else graduates and takes a job (laughs) and they like take refuge in education and they're like, oh, I just got to learn some more. But they're actually just shit scared to go and actually dedicate their life to something. That's what Mm -hmm. I think is going on when someone's like, oh, I'm working on myself. Once I get the job, once I lose the weight, once I do the thing, then I'm ready for dating. That whole story, and I'm not making it wrong. I'm just saying that whole story, I code as, oh, poor sweetheart's terrified. They're Mm -hmm. just afraid to actually um, enter this domain of possibility and terror because I don't believe a couple's in love until they confess that they're terrified at some level, because to be in love is to actually um, shift your identity from I to us. And when that happens, the new relationship us gives you back an I hood. That's so much bigger and more beautiful than the one you supposedly had to sacrifice that the ROI is worth it, but nobody knows this. So it feels like they're dying into this next phase, the relationship. A caterpillar feels like it's dying into the butterfly. But if you identify as a butterfly in transition when you're a caterpillar, then you're not, you're, 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 you're maintained. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you feel like in this space of someone that's really wanting to find love and to step into a beautiful relationship that we need to know? Well, I'm going to go a little woo-woo. Can I go woo-woo? Let's, oh, go woo-woo. Okay, Let's do it. so <laughs> you cannot have a relationship that you haven't first imagined. Mm-hmm. So everybody's like, oh, I'll go ask any CEO, ask any visionary artist, James Cameron, Stanley Kubrick, Steve Jobs. They believed in a future. So Steve Jobs was like, I see a personal computer in every hand. And he had a vision. And everyone looked at him, thought he was crazy. There was no technology that didn't even have factories to build anything like this. But the, the courageous audacity 
to hold a vision of what you want without having any evidence, proof currently in your life or past mm-hmm. takes chutzpah. <laughs> but it is that audacity and courage and chutzpah that literally rearranges reality to produce the raw materials for that possibility. So having the ability to imagine, I have all my clients who are single start imagining that relationship, not who they are, not what the person looks like. You know, for my clients, especially if they're women, I ask them to like, next time you're standing at a kitchen sink at your home, I want you to imagine your hands are doing something in the sink and you feel the chin of your lover come up behind you and nuzzle into the side of your neck and their arms go around your waist. You don't know what they look like. You just know the feeling and the way your body kind of breathes out and relaxes and just wire that in every time you're at the sink and you can remember to do it. Now, what happens is they hold that vision and then as soon as they imagine the nuzzle and the snuggly hug, they get angry. They get despondent, hopeless. A feeling comes up and any feeling that is not uh, sort of grounded and congruent with that future dream has to be breathed through and alchemized because those feelings are what's in the way. Mm-hmm. So, so you feel, so I'm sure Steve Jobs had a million setbacks, but he had to like find his way back into the vision every time there was a setback. And so a lot of what I'm doing is teaching my clients to hold a vision of how, not just what the person's like, how do they want to feel in the relationship? Go for the feeling, not, oh, they have a job as a hedge fund manager. Oh, they do this. and Screw all that. How do you want to feel when they put their arms around you? How do you want to feel when you climb into bed with them? How do you want to feel when you're sitting at dinner having conversation? How do you want to feel when they look into your eyes? Start visioning that. And you have to vision it in a way that has your body be relaxed and grounded rather than tight and contracted. So I think we just have a few minutes here. Maybe I'll just teach this tool and I call it having versus hoping. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you have something, like I have this glass of water, okay. I can hope for another glass of water or hope for a different glass, but I can't hope for the thing that I have. Okay. So having the feeling of having something like your computer or your phone or your apartment, it's kind of like, oh, there it is. Take it for granted. When you turn the key in your house key and you open your door, we all go, oh, there's our house. We don't have any tightness or weirdness or, you know, incongruence. That's having energy. It's got a cavalier, comfortable, of courseness. It's grounded. Okay. That's how you feel when you pick up a glass of water or lift up your laptop or pick up your phone. Now, hoping energy is a little different. Hoping energy is someday, one day, maybe. Oh, I want that car. Oh, that job. Oh, I hope that girl texts me. Oh, da, da. and it has this kind of incredulous disbelief in the vibe, whether someone's talking about, oh yeah, I'm going to write a book and next year I'm going to publish it. It's very different than if like Malcolm Gladwell writes a book, is writing a book and it's not going to get published till next year. But when he talks about it, he's like, yeah, my book's coming out with HarperCollins, February, 2024. It's not even handed in yet, but the way he's relating to it is having energy, of courseness. Mm -hmm. So hoping energy and having energy are very different. Okay. Hoping is someday, one day, maybe. Having is, of course, it's a done deal. It's going to happen. Congruent. Mm -hmm. Whenever you have something, you can't hope for it. 
have this, cannot hope for it. So it precludes hoping. Anytime you hope for something, I really want that. I hope he texts me. I want to find my soulmate. It precludes having. Mm -hmm. Hoping precludes having. So we got to track where do we have a dream about a romantic possibility and where do we have hopey energy, which is basically disbelievy, incredulous energy. And we need to build an energetic frame when we hold that vision that's calm, grounded, and congruent and feels more like the sun rising tomorrow or that doctor's appointment you have next week that you just know you're going to go to. There's all kinds of things in the future that have no proof, no guarantee, but we would just relate to them as if it's a done deal. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I teach my clients to, whenever they're doing something that has having energy, opening their front door, um, uh, opening their laptop, putting on their shoes, whenever they have having energy state to copy paste into their vision in their mind, the dream so that we're anchoring the congruent Mm -hmm. having energy with the dream outcome. But you have to have the state first, then the visual. If you pull the visual up, it does, then you have to go wrangle a state. So you've got to have the already existing state. Every time you open your front door, paste the vision in. Mm -hmm. And then eventually your body codes them as the same thing. And Mm -hmm. once you see the vision and you feel commensurate and congruent with that future and no wonky feelings are coming up in the way, then it's, it's just on its way to you. It's just a matter of time. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that. That's such like a secret passageway into the brain to can get, get what we're looking for and to have instead of to hope. I actually Uh, did it when I was first dating my husband and he was dating someone else. And I was one of the girls on some rotation, like three women before he (laughs) recognized me. Mm -hmm. Um, I would wake up beside him when we were dating and I knew I wasn't his only girl. And I would just imagine, like, I, first, I, I had dated a guy and lived with him for eight years when I lived in London. So I knew what it was like to live with someone and have a partner who you just kind of take for granted and who's just always there. Mm-hmm. So I would conjure that memory of like, oh, yeah, this is what it feels like. I'm going to get up and go make a tea and they're going to probably go to the gym. And I'd conjure the feeling and then I would look at my husband in the bed and I would anchor the feeling of this mm-hmm. is my husband. This is my partner. I, and I would just anchor it with the feeling of, of coarseness. Mm-hmm. And over time, I just, we, he took me shopping at Whole Foods to get cheese for a party for all his friends. And this is like three dates in. And he sh- is showing no indication that he likes me more than any of the other girls. And while we're shopping for cheese, I was like, oh, yes, me and my husband are throwing a party. And we're buying cheese for our guests. Like, no, I'm just one of the guests. But I am just using my having technology. And it worked. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. I love this. We're all going to go shop for cheese now. Um, where, where can everyone find you? Because I know just from this short time we've had together, you have so much incredible knowledge and value. So I know people are going to want to connect with you more. Sure. I mean, I'm, I do reels. I do a lot of, um, my best ideas. I put them out on Instagram. So you can find me at Lala bird, L A. L-L-A-B-I-R-D. So it's Lala with two L's in the middle. And then I'm on Facebook, but on my website is AnnieLala.com. And then I have blogs and articles and videos and all kinds of stuff. And I have my love test, 10 questions to find out if she or he is really in love with you. And join my tribe. I'm always doing programs for couples resolving conflict. We have one called Love Dojo. I'm doing one this weekend with my husband. 
Um, I teach a relationship coaching program called Heart Coach for three months where I teach you my tools for being a relationship coach. And then my husband and I run our own coaching program where we teach new coaches how to take their knowledge from their life and alchemize it into a career that they're really proud of. So I'm, you know, I'm busy, but I also have private clients. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I know I'm going to go, we're all going to have to go take that test. The, are they the one and are they in love with you? We're going to figure it out. Annie, thank you so much for being here. It's been such a pleasure to connect with you. And I know everyone listening is feeling the same way. Yay. Well, keep your studies going on matters of the heart and emotional technology. We only touch the surface. So if anyone's interested in this, um, you know, keep researching everything there is around relationships. It's been a delight sharing my knowledge with you. And I hope I get to see you around next time. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Naked Connection. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Trust me on this, your sex life and that special someone in your life will thank you for it. And if you really love the show, please take a moment and leave a five-star review or a written review and let me know what you think. It would mean so much to me and the show. Until next time, happy connecting.